Chapter 8 of Wired Love by Ella Cheva Thayer. The Feast! Pondering discontentedly over the perplexities of life, a habit she had allowed herself to indulge in quite frequently of late, one day not long after the final exit of the once interesting but now obnoxious sea, Natty suddenly became aware of a pair of merry brown eyes belonging to a fine-looking young gentleman, observing her critically and with apparently no intention of discontinuing their scrutiny, at which in her present state of temper Natty turned very red and very angry. "'I am not on exhibition,' she thought indignantly, and rising majestically, went towards him with the curt inquiry, "'Did you wish to send a message, sir?' The young gentleman hesitated and appeared slightly embarrassed, but did not take his eyes from her face nevertheless. "'I merely wish to ask the tariff to Washington,' he replied at length. Forty cents,' Natty answered shortly. "'Thank you,' he said, but without moving, and after a moment, as if desirous of opening a conversation, he continued, smiling, "'I hardly think I will send a message today. I presume you will not object to being spared the trouble.' Natty, having been quarrelling all day with intangible somethings, was rather glad than otherwise to find a real object upon which she could vent the unamiability resulting from her surplus discontent. The young man's evident desire to talk more than circumstances warranted was displeasing to her, and she rejoined very stiffly, "'It is a matter of perfect indifference to me,' and turned away. With an amused smile, he looked at the back thus presented to his view, opened his lips to speak, hesitated, and finally walked away. Natty, looking after him out of the corners of her eyes, saw him glance back as he opened the door, and had a remorseful feeling that perhaps she had been crosser to him than he really deserved, for he was certainly very fine-looking, but what was done could not be undone, and with no expectation of ever seeing him again, she dismissed the matter from her mind. The best, perhaps the only really pleasant part of Natty's life now, was her evenings, passed almost invariably with sin. Indeed, sin seemed to be a magnet around which all gathered, Quimby, although of course Sin herself was not his chief attraction, Celeste Fishblade, who determinedly pushed herself into an intimacy, and Joe Norton, who had it not been for the fact so loudly proclaimed by himself of his having no sentiment in his soul, would have been suspected of being on the road to falling in love with Sin, so strangely was he attracted to her company. But this, of course, was impossible for him. It will not do, dear. Sin remarked, when Natty related her little adventure with the young gentleman. You knew you have been in a dreadful state of mind ever since C intruded his personality. Natty coloured a little as she replied discontentedly, Oh, it isn't that, I assure you. The truth is I am ambitious, Sin. I suppose I forgot it slightly while I was so interested in C, but I cannot be content with a mere working on from day to day in the same old routine and nothing more. Sin looked at her scrutinizingly as she asked, But in what particular way are you ambitious, to be rich or what? Oh, not for money, Natty answered, with a slight contempt for that necessary and convenient article. I am ambitious for fame. I want to be a writer. But when I think of the obstacles in my way to an opening, even in that direction I am daunted. I have attacks of energy, it is true, but I fear it is fitful. It comes and goes. I understand. Sin replied, with more than wanted seriousness. Your ambition is great enough 
to render you useless and discontented. But you need something to stimulate your energy, else it will waste itself in idle dreams. Perhaps love may come to be that motive power. Perhaps. And her shade crossed her sunny face. Some great disappointment. There was a moment's silence. Natty, pondering thoughtfully on these words, and then Sen continued. But in the meantime, since you can at present accomplish nothing, why not get all the enjoyment you can out of life as it goes? So when the opportunity comes and you seize it, you will not have to look back on years wasted in vain longings for the then unattainable. That is my philosophy, and I too am ambitious. Your philosophy is cheery, at least, said Natty, smiling. But I'm afraid it is very hard for ambitious people to take life easy. And that is not all of my troubles, she continued gaily. I can't get anything good to eat. Poor child, said Sin with mock seriousness. This is coming from the sublime to the ridiculous. What is the cause of the lamentable fact? Oh, I'm so tired of both boarding houses and restaurants. In the former, they never have what one likes, and ah, such steak. While in the latter, you have to pick out all the cheap dishes or ruin yourself at a meal. Sin laughed. I assure you, I can appreciate your feelings from sad experience. I myself am positively longing for a nice sirloin steak. Then a sudden thought striking her. I will tell you what we will do, Ned. We will have a little feast. Feast? repeated Natty, not exactly comprehending. Yes, I have a little gas stove, low be it said, lest Mrs. Simonson, here and bring in a terrific bill for extra gas, I use it sometimes to cook my dinner when I do not feel like going out. And why should we not have a feast all to ourselves some day, and the sirloin steak shall be forthcoming? And what do you say to Charlotte Russe? In short, we will have everything we can think of, and you shall be assistant cook. That would be splendid, cried Natty delightedly. Only it will have to be some Sunday, as that is my only leisure day, you know. All the better, for then we will be less liable to intrusion, responded Sin gaily. So make a memorandum to that effect for next week. We must not let Mrs. Simonson know, however, on account of the gas stove, and I pay her too much rent now. I am afraid we shall have a little difficulty about dishes. The few I have are not exactly real Savoir china, or even decently conventional, but... Oh, never mind the dishes, interrupted Natty. Anything will do. I have myself a cracked tumbler and a spoon that will perhaps be useful for something. Agreeing, therefore, to hold dishes in strict contempt, the following Sunday found the two girls with closed doors, in the midst of great preparations for a truly bohemian feast, as Sin termed it. Natty with her crimps tied down in a blue handkerchief, and Sin with her sleeves rolled up, and an old skirt of a dress doing duty as apron. Let me see, said Natty merrily, taking account of stock. Two pounds of steak. The first cut of the sirloin, I think you said, waiting, expectant of making glad our hearts on the rocking chair, potatoes in plebeian lowliness under the table, tomatoes and two pies on your trunk, Charlotte Russe, delicious Charlotte Russe. Where? Ah, on your bonnet box, in a plate ordinarily used as a card receiver, and sugar, butter, etc., and etc., lying around almost everywhere, and the figs, oranges, and homely but necessary bread. Where are they? I see on top of Dombey and Son. And our dishes will not quarrel, because they are none of them any relation to each other, laughed Sin as she peeled the tomatoes. I fear goblets will have to take upon themselves the duties of cups, and that a cracked tumbler of yours must be used for something. I am sorry that saucepan is so dilapidated, but it is the best I own. 
And in that saucepan we must both boil the potatoes and stew the tomatoes. Won't one cool where the other is doing? queried Natalie, hovering lovingly over the steak. I think not, Sin answered. You won't mind the coffee being boiled in a tin can once the repository of preserved peaches, will you? Oh, no, replied Natty emphatically, and sawing at the steak with a very dull knife, without a handle. It'll be just as good when it's poured out. I had a coffee pot once, but I melted the nose off and forgot to buy another yesterday, Sin said, putting on the potatoes. We will call our contrivance a coffee urn. It sounds aristocratic, suggested Natty, as she cleared the books from the least shaky table and spread it with three towels in lieu of a tablecloth. But what shall we do for plates to put the pies on? Take those two wooden box covers in the closet, promptly responded Sin. This is right, and see, here is room also for the coffee. Pardon me, I'd almost said commonplace coffee pot. But the tomato, what can we pour that in? Suddenly exclaimed Natty with great concern. Sin scanned every object in the room with dismay. The, the washbowl, she insinuated at last, determined not to be daunted. Don't you think it rather large, to say nothing of its being too suggestive? To Natty, laughing. Sin did not press the point, but shook her head dubiously. I have it, cried Natty. There is a fruit dish in my room. Just the thing, interrupted Sin ecstatically. I will run and bring it, if you will attend to the cooking. Look out for Miss Kling said Natty warningly. If she catches a glimpse of you making off with my fruit dish, she will never rest until she finds out everything. Rely on me for secrecy and dispatch, said Sin, going. If she sees me, I will mention nuts and raisins. Merely mention them, you know. But Miss Kling, for once, was napping, perhaps dreaming of him Sin called the Torpedo, Celeste's father, and she obtained the dish, reached her own door again without being seen by anyone except the Duchess, and was congratulating herself on her good luck, and suddenly, like an apparition, Quimby stood before her. Sin started, murmured something about oranges, slipped the soap dish she had also confiscated into her pocket, and tried to make the big fruit dish appear as small as possible. She might, however, have spared herself any uneasiness, for this, always the most unobservant of mortals, was too much overburdened with some affair of his own to notice even a two-quart dish. Oh, uh, uh, I beg your pardon, I, I was coming with a, a, a request to your room, he said eagerly. I, would it be too much to, to bring a friend? He knows no one here, and I am sure he and you would fraternize at once if I might bring him, you know? Certainly, yes, replied Sin, too anxious to get away to pay much attention to his words, particularly as an odour of steak reached her nostrils. Thank you. I never knew anyone who understood me as well as you, he said with a grateful bow, and without more words, Sin left him. How long you have been gone, Natty remarked, looking up, her cheeks very red, and her nose embellished with a streak of smut as Sin entered. Did you see anyone? No one except Quimby has stopped me to ask about bringing a friend to call some evening, Sin replied, displaying the fruit and producing the soap dish. Mercy on us, Natty said, looking rather aghast. It is rather large, isn't it? And what did you bring that soap dish for? I thought it might come handy, laughed Sin. We will make a potato holder of it for the time. To what base uses we may come at last? Why, in a tone of surprise, here is the Duchess. And sure enough, up by the window sat that sagacious animal, winking and blinking complacently, and evidently determined to be a third in the feast. She came in unnoticed under the shadow that fruit dish threw, said Natty teasingly. Sin shook an oyster fork at her threateningly. 
Say another such word, and you shall have no stake, she said tragically. Instead, a dungeon shall be your doom. We will let the Duchess remain as a receiver of odds and ends. I suppose her suspicions were excited by the sight of these articles. A rare cat, a learned cat. Now please set the table, for our feast will soon be prepared. And Sin bent over the sizzling steak that emitted a most appetizing odour. Setting that table was no such easy matter as might appear, for what with the big fruit dish, wooden covers, different sizes of plates, and other incongruous articles, considerable management was necessary. I shall have to put the sugar on in the bag, Natty said incautiously, backing to view the general effect, and so stumbling over the saucepan of potatoes that sat on the floor, but luckily doing no damage. Ah, well, eccentricity is quite the rage now, you know, responded the philosophical sin and suddenly a sugar bowl so closely resembling a brown paper bag as not to be distinguishable from the real thing is quite recherché but my dear nat where am i to set the steak if you have that big fruit dish in the centre of the table taking up all the room i shall have to put it on the floor then natty answered despairingly well, i have tried it in all parts of the table if you set it on the edge she added hastily seeing sin about to do so you will tip the whole thing over then we must have a sideboard sin announced with a plate of steak in one hand and the big fruit dish in the other. Put my writing desk on a chair, please, spread a towel over it, and there you have it. But what a quantity of eatables we have. Two pounds of steak, ten big potatoes, a two-quart dish of tomatoes, two large pies, two charlotte russes, an urn of coffee, a dozen oranges, and a box of figs. Good gracious! Think of two people eating all that, exclaimed Natty, decidedly dismayed at the prospect. It is considerable, Sin confessed surveying the array with a slightly daunted expression. You see, I'm not used to buying for the family, and I was afraid of getting too little, but... Brightening. There isn't more than one quarter of the tomatoes, and there are three of us, you know, the Duchess. To be sure, I had forgotten her, Natty said, recovering her equanimity and glancing at the purring animal, who was looking on approvingly, and evidently appreciated the difference between sirloin and her usual rations around. Then let the revels commence at once, cried Sin, rolling down her sleeves while Natty wiped the smart from her face. But now another difficulty presented itself. The chairs were all too low to admit of feasting with the anticipated rapture. This was soon overcome, however, by piling a few books on the highest chair and appropriating the music-stool. "'Now for a feast!' exclaimed Natty, exultantly, as they sat down triumphant, and she brandished her very big knife and extremely small fork, while Sin poured the coffee from the urn an undertaking attended with some difficulty and requiring caution, and the Duchess looked on expectantly. And then, the goal almost reached, upon their startled ears came a dreadful sound, the sound of a knock at the door. Down to the ground went Natty's knife and fork, the coffee urn narrowly escaped a similar fate, up went the back of the Duchess, and two dismayed bohemians and one impatient cat gazed at each other.